have the Bible reading now comes from Acts chapter 17, from verse 22 to 34. Uh, If you've got one of the Bibles uh, from the church, it's page 1111. From Acts chapter 17, verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship... I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own prophets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, We should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. All right. Let me pray, and we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that we can come together uh, today, and we do pray that we can uh, hear your word that we'll consider uh, uh, what real religion is and that we'll see Jesus and see our need uh, to trust in him. Amen. All right, now let's have a look. Um, I've got a new clicker today, so I'm going to see if it works. It's on. not too far away. Guess what? You're going to have to do it. That's unfortunate. Oh, no, that was you. Bad luck. <laughs> That's a smooth start. It's great to be with you. Uh, it's great to be in this series. I've been really encouraged by this series and um, each week there's different people here because it's January and that's great and um, welcome back if you're back from holidays um, as others have gone away. I um, mean, if you're here, as I said before, visiting uh, for the first time, it's great uh, that you're here with us, and we um, trust you are encouraged and uh, have a, a good morning with us. As you heard, we're in this series, How Would You Fix the World? If you ask people that, you're going to get all sorts of different answers. You're going to get answers like the four that we're looking at, the fix people, fix the authorities, fix religion, or just, that's no hope, can we ever fix it? Which I'll look at next week. But today we're going to hone in on this thing of religion. Well, if you fix religion, you'll fix the world. 
Now, as I think about my life as a kid, I was a very religious kid. I had three main religions that I followed. Who wants to guess what they were? What else? Yeah? Cricket, golf and soccer. It was very seasonal. I had cricket in summer, I had soccer in winter and I had golf all year round. They were a religion though, in, in one sense, because religion is what you give your life to. See, worship isn't just coming here today or singing music to God together. That, that is worship. But God sees worship as what you give your life to. What you praise, what you enjoy, what your whole devotion is towards. That is your worship. And as a kid, I didn't think about anything else. I didn't even think about girls until I got a lot older because I had my religion sport. When it comes to the world around us in our uh, community, I think when it comes to kind of religious God things, we're really apathetic, I reckon. I don't think that's a surprise at all. I think we're very re- apathetic as a society about religion. If, you, if we all just stopped church right now and walked over to uh, the Grove Shopping Centre and asked people what you think about religion, the number one vibe will be, I just, I'm over it, I don't care. You'll probably get a fair bit of uh, hatred towards religion as well. They kind of, in in ways, go hand in hand. And you'll probably hear, I'm not that religious. It's good to have your beliefs, but I don't need mine. And I'm just not, I don't need it in my life. I've got everything that I need. We've moved on in a society in many ways. Well, what's the problem with religion? What is the actual problem? What would you say if you were to try and come up with a list of things? If we tried to brainstorm that now, what things? You yell at me, what kind of other problems with the religion? People. What other problems with religion? Scandals, absolutely. Very much so. What other problems? Yeah. Sorry, justification? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We could spend ages doing this. I put a list up on the screen there, you'll see, come up, that for some people, the problem with it is it's just irrelevant. It doesn't do anything for me. There's too many options. Who's right? What's going on? It causes more problems, which is kind of what uh, your suggestions were. Religion has blood on its hands. It's hypocritical. And it abuses power. And we've seen the devastating effects of wickedness uh, of people in religious communities and societies and the disastrous, just evil and wicked way that children have been treated. But all sorts of power has been abused. And wars. Religion is to blame for all the wars. These are kind of the things that people feel about religion and then they said... But maybe we need to just pause and have a reflect for a moment because there are a couple of myths about religion I think that we need to address and maybe sometimes it gets overstated a little bit because often people say religion's to blame for all our problems. I don't know if you ever heard of Christopher Hitchens. He was one of the really well-known atheists who wrote, who wrote a book called God is Not Great. 
And the subtitle to it was, which you probably can't read there, How Religion Poisons Everything. It was a very, very popular book and lots of people have been um, influenced by it. He says in the book, there's a quote on the next slide there, you'll see, religion poisons everything. As well as a menace to civilization, it has become a threat to human survival. Now, I think we have to own up to the fact that religion has had its problems and significant issues. But that's really overstating it, isn't it? If we were just to do a proper investigation of what through history religion has done, there is lots and lots and lots of good. So much of our social services, so much of our hospitals, so much of education, so many things that are key and fabric to society have come about through religious organisations. It's a myth to say that it poisons everything. Is he really saying if you took out religion all those things would happen? Or is he saying that those things aren't good? The other myth is that religion causes all wars. I'm not going to spend heaps of time in this, but I just want to point this out to you, just in case you ever deal with this, is that it is absolutely true there have been some horrendous religious wars. You know, the Crusades were a Christian, a war in Christendom uh, many, many centuries ago where lots of blood was shed. But if we went through statistically history and saw all the wars and tallied them up, we would find that Religious wars is a small amount of all the other wars, that atheism, that uh, all different types of socialism, just tyrannical leaders wanting to be rulers and dictators and all sorts of other reasons are the reasons for all the wars. People. And so we don't overstate the problem with religion, even though we can see there are significant problems. That list isn't completely wrong, is it? So if we're going to think about it today, the first point I want to ask is, does Jesus hate religion? And my answer, as you can see out there, is, well, yes, kind of, sort of, not really. I think that's a kind of, I want to show you why I think that. You see, Jesus wasn't a fan of the religious leaders when he rocked up a couple thousand years ago. He had a real significant problem with religion. God's people had a covenant relationship with him. And that relationship was the religion of Judaism in which which God had said a certain way that they were to live and all these rituals and all these things that they would do to be um, in this relationship with God. But the leaders were hypocrites and despicable by the time that Jesus came around. And if you go back way before, you see how the leaders and the, and the people completely got um, this covenant, this uh, religion wrong. Look at how, an example of how Jesus talks to the, the religious guys of the time in Matthew 23. He says to them in no um, mincing of his words, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. They're the leaders. They're the you know, the religious leaders of the time. What does he say about them? You hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, 
which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. Jesus was not a fan of how religion was going when he turned up. He saw the leaders and how they were leading the people into hypocrisy and this pretend shiny looking good on the outside but on the inside it was dead. He did not like it. And the leaders, would, there's a story in, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, where they, they go into the temple and thank you that I'm not like this person as they give their money, make a big deal about it as they pray and he's saying it's just all hypocritical. So Jesus had a problem with religion and he's tapping into what we have already suggested, that people's angst with religion, Jesus saw and brought up and exposed. But my second question is, does Jesus then truly hate religion? You see, I always would like, I almost did a sermon series called Jesus Hates Religion. But I'm glad I never did because it's wrong. Because he was a Jew who came to fulfill Judaism, that God himself, his father, instituted. Jesus came to actually correct religion. At the end of one of, his, uh, uh, one of the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus' life in Luke 24, we see Jesus is talking after he's risen from the dead and he's talking um, to his apostles and he's wanting to make this point that it's all about him. Have a look at what he says in um, 2444 on the screen there. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Jesus has just said at the end of his ministry, everything that's gone before, all the religion that uh, God had made with his people, that's going to go not just for the Israelites but for all people, all of this, I am making you, it's different now, because I'm fulfilling it. I'm not getting rid of religion, I'm making it about me. And so, he doesn't hate it. Jesus is saying that true religion is about him. So, as we wrestle with this, what's the way forward? And I think what we need to see is that understanding that the religion Jesus brings is distinctive to all others. Now, religion is, has a common, no matter what religion is, it's common in the sense that it's about devoting yourself to something, but there is a distinction, there are differences. Like, as we look all here, everyone is human. Yes? Yes, yes good, thanks, Jack. All of you are human, but as I look out here... None of you are the same. You are very distinctive. Some of you have glasses. Some of you are male. Some of you are female. Some of you are frowning at me right now. Some of you are smiling at me now. Some of you may be sleeping. But we're, all, we're distinctive. We look different. Religion, I think, you can be break into two distinctions. And that's what we're going to do 
And the way we're going to do that is we're going to see the two types of religion and then we're going to get into Paul and see what the Apostle Paul that Jen brought up with the kids, how he is like the perfect example of understanding how where to think about religion. Now, every time I do slides, people say they love diagrams. Well, some of you love diagrams and love to help you out about that. So this, yeah, I'm thinking about you, Jeff. This is for you and anyone else it's helpful for. Um, I've tried to descri- describe the difference by uh, this diagram that will come up on the screen right now. There are two distinctives of religion. There's every other religion on, the, on your left and Christianity on the right. On the left, how you get right with God is by what you do. Can you see that there on the left? On the right, Jesus' religion is you get right with God by what Jesus has done. Can you see the difference? You could pick any other religion and there will be an element of you needing to earn God's favour in some way. But with Christianity, with what Jesus came when he said everything's about me and what Judaism is supposed to point towards is that Jesus does it all for us and we will see that further in a moment. But it's a diagram that's got a crossover. I believe it's got a Venn diagram. So I really did some work on this. Right? It's a, <laughs> the middle bit. They have something in common. They seek truth. You see, you seek what is actually real. Who are you going to worship? Whether you're uh, Islam, whether you're uh, Buddhist, whether you're... Um, the religion of self, whether you're a follower of Jesus trusting in him, there's a sense in which you want to believe in something and follow that as your truth. The left can look all sorts of different ways. Uh, just yesterday uh, uh, I was talking with someone, they said, I'm not, I'm not religious. I said, well, what do you mean by not religious? Isn't that, they don't do religious things like pray, go to church, and we're playing golf and I, and I missed a part and he said to me, maybe you should just bless it like this and it'll go in because you know, I said I was a pastor and so forth. And like, that's kind of this religious thing. That's, what is that? But it's this idea that you do stuff and God will be happy with you is what's behind it. But if it's not super religious, what fits on that side of what you do can just be to try and be a good person which is what I think a lot of people around us, if they don't have a religion that they associate with, those apathetic people maybe around us, is that I'll just be a good person, whatever that is. I'll decide what's good and I'll try and do more good than bad and that'll work out because I'm, I'm a good person. It may or may not include believing. I believe there's a God and I'll be a good person. Or it may not. But what's different is the other side where you don't do anything to earn God's favour. So, let me just give you a practical example and then we'll get into God's Word to see this play out. I wanted to lay it out for you this time, kind of do the reverse of what I normally do, show you the Bible and then kind of illustrate it. I wanted to lay this out and then we'll see it play out in God's Word. 
If you came to church and you walked in those doors today and you thought in some way I earned God's favour in being right with him, that mindset is the orange. If you walked in those doors today and I want to come to church to be with God's people and have fellowship with him, or I don't know where I am with God, I'm just thinking about whether Jesus is real or not, um, then that, that's a totally different mindset because you're not coming to earn God's favour. If you're a follower of Jesus, you want to please him but not kind of get right with him by doing it. That's the distinction. So let's see this play out with the example of Paul. You see, he started one religion and moved to the other when he met Jesus. Say that again. He started in the orange and he went to the blue. He started with what you do and then he became one who trusted in Jesus. Paul, who was called Saul, was super zealous for his religion, Judaism. He was a Jew of all Jews. He grew up as a Jew in Tarsus and he was taught all about the religious rules and regulations and he kind of, you know, bragging about how good he was. He was advancing a long way. Uh, he, he testifies in the scriptures about how good he was. But if we were to categorise him, Paul would be more considered a fundamental terrorist than a good guy in today's culture. He sought to take down Christians. He went around wanting to put them in prison, to see them die, to get rid of the religion. That was Saul. If you read the book of Acts and you see the first Christian martyr, the first person to die, Stephen, Saul was behind it. He was doing all this because he believed sincerely with zealous passion what you do is needed. But then he met Jesus and it changed everything for him. I don't know if you know the story. Let me read to you Acts chapter 9. This isn't up on the screen but just listen to it. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether man or woman, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. See, there he is. He's devoted to destroying this religion. The Jewish leaders are more than happy for him to do it. He goes to them for help. I'm going to Damascus. I'm going to capture a whole bunch of them and take them away. And then something extraordinary happens. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Saul 
in this extraordinary, unique way, met the living, reigning God of all the universe, Jesus, who spoke to him and said, you are personally persecuting me. And as uh, Jen was saying with the kids, he was blinded by God and he, and he had three days as blind and um, Ananias, we find out in the story, um, he goes to him and the Holy Spirit helps him see again and, and, and this new sight, this kind of physical thing that happens to him is to point to the fact that he was sincere but he was full of hatred. He was sincere but he was blind. But now that he could see because he met Jesus, he had a whole new way of thinking. He didn't leave seeking the truth. He just met Jesus and he found out that Jesus wants a relationship with him. What happens? What does he do? Well, in verse 20 of chapter 9, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. He's gone from a man of violence and hatred to a man of argument and peace and reasoning. Can you imagine it? You go to Massive, you know about this guy and what he's up to. And here he comes and instead of putting you in chains, he says, hey, you know what you believe, it's right. Or you, you, you don't believe that, but you should. Well, you can imagine what happens is, in verse 21, all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called on, his, on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Imagine it. And here Saul, who's now Paul, kept going on proving that Jesus was the Messiah. You see, what happened to Saul was that he met the resurrected Jesus. What changed everything for him was that he met Jesus who died and rose again. What he believed to be a lie, what he believed to be not true, what he believed that uh, Jesus was not the Messiah that the Jews were waiting for, he discovered when Jesus said to him, I am living, I have risen from the dead and you are persecuting me. Everything hinges around what Jesus did, the blue side, him dying and rising again. And so Paul didn't keep it to himself. He didn't think, it's okay, well, I've got this good news, I'm just going to keep it to myself. He went out and kept telling everyone, as we just heard. And that brings us to the, the passage that we had read for us today to really see the example of Paul. You see, in Acts chapter 17, he was in Greece, to the Areopagus, where all these people love talking philosophy and religion and all these kind of things and debating what you believe. And he goes to them and he says, in 22 verse 23, Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. 
So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. You see, this meeting of Jesus meant that Paul understood what Jesus had said when he came. That your way of life and religion is not a multiple choice question on an exam. You don't get to choose which one you want. There is only one way. Jesus came and said that implicitly. He he came and said it as clearly as he could. He explicitly outlined, in any way he could, he wanted to be very clear that he was the only solution. In John 14, he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. That's good. But he also says, no one comes to the Father except through me. See, meeting Jesus meant that religion can only have one true way. And that kind of makes sense, because if you're seeking truth, you can't have things that contradict each other, right? Let me give you an example in religion. Some religions have many gods. Other religions have one god, like Christianity. You can't have both. You can't say, oh, they're both true. In this crazy kind of world we live in now, some people want to say, oh, that's your truth, that's my truth. But are there multiple gods? Or are there one god? You can eat certain foods, you can eat all foods. Well, can you do both? You can't do both. You're saved by being good, or you're saved by someone else doing something for you. You can't have both options, they're contradictory. Jesus didn't die on the cross, as the Islamic faith believes. His apostles brought him down off the cross. He didn't actually die on the cross. Or, historically, he did die on the cross. Which is it? It can't be both. You can actually become a God. Or, you can dwell with God into all eternity. You can't be a God and be with God at the same time. But some religions, some would say, yes, you can. There's only one way and Jesus says it's in him. And so for all of us, we've got to decide, is Jesus lying or is it true? For Paul, he wanted to explain this is true. And so he goes on to say in verse 29, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. That is, he's saying... These things that you have are not God. My golf clubs as a kid, my soccer ball, my cricket bat, they're not God. What do you put there? It might not be physical, but it might act in the same way. They're not God, he says. Verse 30, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. What changed? What's the key? The resurrection. And what does that mean for us? It's that word there right at the end of verse 30. Repent. 
It's kind of seen as a religious word, but it's not really. It literally means to turn around and go back the other way. He is saying, instead of turning away from Jesus, you turn to him and trust in him for what he has done for you. The blue in the diagram, what Jesus has done by dying and rising, you respond by trusting in it. If you believe it to be true, you trust in it. You don't earn his favour, you you just say, God has done this for me, thank you. I needed it. I, I have a problem. And he goes on to say, we find out in verse 32 what happens. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, which many do today still. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. This sounds a little bit interesting. Is this true? This unknown God is actually the only God? And then in verse 34, some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. They kept going with Paul because they believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. See the example that Paul was, and really helpful for us? He was a certain way, seeking truth, doing all these things, and then he moved to just saying that Jesus is God that Jesus died and rose again and he's done it all for me. That is what religion truly should be. Uh, My last point as we um, wrap up. If you want to move away from apathy, if you want to move away from just ignoring religion or just ignoring God or even if maybe it's more than just apathy for you, there's a sense of hatred you've been really badly burnt by religion. And no doubt that in a, in a, even a small group this size, that's the case for someone. But if you want to move beyond that, what you need is just see simply and clearly is that you trust in Jesus. As I got there on the screen, you don't trust in human activities to earn God's favour. You trust in Jesus. You don't choose any uh, religion and accept that Jesus lied because he said, I'm the only way. Or you accept there's only one way to God. But that's what you do. And then you don't have to wonder whether you earn God's favour. I trust that Jesus is God and that he died for me and he's still living. He conquered death. You can do that today. But you know what? You know why this gets a little bit confusing for us? And it was confusing right from the beginning because in the book of Galatians, uh, Paul made the point to um, Peter and the other leaders, you you got this wrong a little bit. Is that, can you go back to the diagram for a second, if you can find it and just flick it back up for me? The problem that we have, and I think this is a really, really important point. See the orange side, the what you do, and the blue side is Christianity. But there's this problem throughout history because we're human and we're, we're sinful. Within Christendom, that should be just trusting in Jesus, a lot of Christianity has turned orange. Does that make sense for you? What I'm saying is, 
is that if you say that Jesus is God, but you're also adding all these other things you've got to do to earn his favour, you've rejected Jesus' Christianity. And that's a tragedy when that happens throughout Christendom. It's a tragedy when people who love Jesus say they love Jesus, but they continue to try and earn his favour to be right with him when he's done it all. No Christianity that says to be right with God, to be saved, whatever way you want to, the language you want to use, you, you need to believe that he's real, but you also need to do these things to be right with him. The moment you do that, Christendom goes orange and Jesus rejects it. Because Jesus said, I have done it all. You know that word that we often talk about if you've come for any time to Grove, you know we constantly talk about grace. We had a little mini-series on it. We're going to do four more talks on grace uh, this year as well because it's so important. God has done everything for us and we don't deserve it. That's how we're saved. We truly believe that because that's what Jesus says. And Christianity sometimes gets that wrong and we need to make sure in our own lives and as a church we don't fall back to that. And if that's where you have been, maybe, or you're not sure, don't worry about it. Just be convicted today. I trust Jesus for my salvation. And you know you are His. Because at the end, just to make it clear that it wasn't Paul coming up with the theory, you know how I went to Luke 24 to say Jesus says it's all about Him? The way He finished Luke 24 there was when He said He showed them everything about the Scriptures. He summarised them. He summarised the whole Bible, all of the Jewish religion by saying this, this is what is written, the Messiah, Jesus, will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Jesus said quite clearly, it's about turning to him because he's done it all. How does fixing religion fix the world? Well, actually, Jesus comes with the one true religion that will fix the world. We can live in a broken world, trusting in Jesus, knowing that actually, this side of heaven, all the problems aren't going to be fixed, even if you follow Jesus. Actually, sometimes it's harder. But into all eternity... Jesus will be God and we can dwell with him. In the end, there are only two ways. Christianity or anything else. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for Jesus. Help us be clear that he has done everything everything for us and we just live in joyful response to him help us now to respond in thankfulness as we sing our song together that acknowledges your son amen